invite you to make your way in your Bible to Luke chapter 11 and verse 29. We're going to consider verses 29 through 36 in a message entitled, May God Open Our Eyes. May God Open Our Eyes. You no doubt have heard the phrase, the eyes are the window uh, to the soul or the windows to the soul. Uh, Sight is physical. It's a sensory experience which causes light to reflect off of the shapes and the objects that we see, and then the eyes then focus on that light. Signals are sent to the brain to be converted into images, and vision, on the other hand, is how the mind or the brain interprets the images that we see. So in one regard, uh, sight helps us to witness an event, but vision helps us to understand the significance of it, and to draw interpretations from it. Now, our world is filled with an incredible variety of colors and shapes and patterns. Uh, Sight gives us the ability to perceive movement, and then vision gives us the ability uh, to make an assessment about what we see, and it all happens in an instant. It's phenomenal how God has created us with this ability. Sometimes I think we take our sight for granted. Uh, If you have eye problems, you're probably far more keenly aware of the value of your sight. Uh, Eye problems can be to the point of almost being debilitating. Uh, I read that globally there are somewhere around 300 million people, uh, give or take, who are visually impaired in some regard, and some 39 million people or so are completely blind. Uh, I would suggest to you, though, that there are far more people who are spiritually blind. And in our passage of Scripture today, there are two main symbols pointing out for us something that we need to see and understand. And these two main symbols are a sign and light. A sign and light. And we're going to look at this in two parts as we work our way through this passage. Now, some people think that evidence plus reason will always cause a person to arrive at truth. That is not accurate, spiritually speaking, because we need revelation from God to be able to see what eternally matters. We are fallen people. We are sinners who are dead in our trespasses and our sin. And apart from the gospel, we cannot see. So just like a genuinely blind person uh, without sight can look at the sun and see nothing, we can look at things spiritually, and apart from the gospel, we don't see anything either. The fallen person in their sin can look at all of the evidence. They can couple that with the best reasoning in the world and still not arrive at the truth on their own unless God opens up their eyes to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. In the verses that we last considered, Jesus was dealing with some hard hearts. These people had witnessed an exorcism and a healing uh, of the mute man by Jesus. They dismissed the miracle out of hand. They didn't even credit it to the power of Jesus. They said that it was by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of demons, And then they followed that by asking for a sign from heaven. The interaction of Jesus with the multitudes who 
crowded around him and continued to listen to him, uh, continued on. And Luke shows us the opposition that Jesus was facing in his public ministry and the way that Jesus confronted the opposition that he was dealing with. Now, here's how it works. Unbelief both rejects and undermines clear evidence of God's love. Unbelief both rejects and undermines the power of God. On the other hand, belief in Jesus comes not merely as a matter of sufficient evidence. It is something that comes with a heart of faith. I will show you first in these verses, beginning in verse 29, that the Son of God is the sign you need. The Son of God is the sign you need. Let's begin reading. In verse 29, he says, while the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, this is an evil generation. It seeks a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Jesus always got to the point. Sometimes it was using symbols, sometimes it was in parables, sometimes it was in straightforward stories, but he always spoke right to the heart. I find it interesting how many in the church today are approaching matters of worship and matters of teaching. I read an article that was very pragmatic in its approach just recently. And they were talking about what makes for a great worship experience in a church. The writer said that there needs to be a buzz and an excitement in a worship service. There should also be creativity, which builds and creates energy. He said it ought to be outsider focus, taking note of the issues that people are facing. And then at the end of the article, he said that he would love to hear about your crazy church experiences. Now, let me tell you, God is not concerned with our fog machine or our platform presentation. He's concerned with the truth and with our hearts. And I think that's what Jesus was concerned with. Evidently, he didn't get the memo because he called it as he saw it in addressing the crowd. And he said, this is an evil generation. There's wickedness among you. And I think there are a lot of churches that are starving for a word from God. And God's word reproves and rebukes and exhorts. And many of these Jews were demanding a sign from Jesus to test him, but Jesus confronted their wickedness in seeking for a sign. And the reason that he did that is Jesus knew that he could give them a thousand miraculous signs and it wouldn't be enough for them to believe. After all, they had witnessed Jesus raise up the paralyzed man. They'd seen Jesus heal the man with the withered hand. 
They had seen Jesus cast out demons and do many other miracles, but none of it was enough. And even though the very Son of God was standing before them, it was not enough for them to believe. Why was it a sin for them to seek a sign? Because the seeking for a sign came from a rebellious and unrepentant heart. Jesus tells of two witnesses here that will witness against those who are opposing his ministry at the final resurrection. The two witnesses are the Ninevites and then the queen of the south or the queen of Sheba. Jesus told them that no sign would be given to them except the sign of Jonah. And he begins to talk about Jonah. Now we remember Jonah, if nothing else, we remember Jonah from Bible stories in children's classes or VBS or something else like that. You remember Jonah, the Old Testament prophet who was called by God to go to Nineveh, and he was supposed to preach judgment against the people. Uh, Nineveh was a Gentile nation who were enemies against Israel. And just kind of as a side note, but also a central point here, uh, this is a very strong foreshadowing of what was to come in the mission of God to the Gentile nations. Because just as Jonah was called to go and to preach a message of repentance and to focus on the righteousness of God among the Ninevites, the Apostle Paul would be raised up as the missionary to the Gentiles. And it was not an afterthought that God would bring people from every tribe, tongue, and nation into his eternal family. It was central to the plan of God from the very outset that the gospel would go there so here he sends Jonah to this place called Nineveh. But the problem was Jonah was a lot, a lot like us. Jonah wanted to do what Jonah wanted to do. He didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. So instead he did the opposite. And he boarded a ship that was bound for Tarshish, which was a port at the end of the known world at that time. And he was on the run trying to escape from God. But friend, you cannot escape from God. You can run, but there's nowhere to run to. You can hide, but there's nowhere to hide. That God cannot track you down or God cannot find you. And here he was trying to get away from God. And what did God do? He brought a storm. And it was a fierce storm. Jonah ends up being thrown into the sea. But rather than drowning, God sent a great fish. And this great fish swallowed Jonah and he was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights and it was in the belly of that great fish that Jonah cried out to God in repentance and God caused the fish to go to dry land and to spit Jonah out on the dry land and Jonah in obedience went and preached the message of repentance to the Ninevites and the scripture says that all of Nineveh repented the people of Nineveh repented and conversely, the majority of the people in Jesus' generation did not. Jesus, in telling the story, is saying, you know that Jonah went to the pagan Ninevites and preached. And you know what they did? They repented. They didn't know much about God. They didn't have a Bible that they had been reading. They simply heard the message and they repented. And Jesus said to his generation, you're evil. I've preached to you. I've performed miracles among you. You've seen my power. You've heard my words. 
and yet you've not repented. And then the other account that Jesus pointed to was that of the Queen of Sheba, the Queen of the South, recorded in 1 Kings chapter 10 and also over in 2 Chronicles. Uh, in her own land of Sheba, which would have roughly been southern Arabia, or probably what we would refer to today as modern-day Yemen, the queen had heard of the wealth and the wisdom of Solomon. She discovered when she got to where Solomon was, after she had made a journey to see for herself this great wealth and wisdom, she discovered that it paled in comparison to what she actually found that the wisdom and the wealth that she actually found when she went to see for herself was far greater than even what she had heard. And as a result of that, she praised the God of Israel for what she encountered. She came a long way bearing gifts to hear of Solomon's wisdom. And she recognized what she heard as having come from God. Jesus came a long way to reveal his wisdom and he was right in the midst of the people, and they paid no attention to him whatsoever. Now, there was a common factor between the Ninevites and the Queen of Sheba, between Jonah and his preaching and this queen and what she witnessed. They both responded in belief to the message of God. And the preaching of Jesus focused on the coming judgment of God and told the people that they needed to repent. So Jesus said, indeed, one who is greater than Jonah is here. One who is greater than Solomon is here. Both Jonah and Jesus were preachers of righteousness and repentance. And the deeper significance is the symbolic death, burial, and resurrection. And when Jonah was tossed to his apparent death in the sea, swallowed by the great fish, and then delivered up alive on the shore... Jesus himself drew the parallel to what would happen to him when he went to the cross and was buried in a tomb and then was raised from the dead. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 12 and verse 40, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So here's the point. The Son of Man, the Son of God, is the sign you need. He's the sign you need. He was the sign that they needed. He's the sign that we need. And the great sign that Jesus gives to all is the miracle of his atoning death and burial and triumphant resurrection. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the world. And who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he by his inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. You see, God had communicated. He created the world. God had made himself known but what he's saying here is Jesus is the penultimate sign from God he is the end of it all and he's all we need Jesus is the testimony 
of God. Or to say it another way, Jesus is the gospel. And then we find not only is there a sign, but the word of God is the light that you need. The word of God is the light that you need. Let's pick back up reading in verse 33. No one, when he's lit a lamp, uh, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand that those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye, therefore when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Therefore take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. Jesus is describing the word of God, the truth of God. And he's making clear that this should not be hidden. The light instead is to be placed in a prominent place in the house so that it gives light to everyone who comes in. Now, Jesus often taught in parables, and I think this is an example that those who were listening to Jesus had had the light shone on them. And when a person responded appropriately, they were able to function as they should spiritually. Receptivity to the word shows that a person is full of light and benefits from the teachings of God. So the first part of the illustration is that Jesus teaching the truth of God, the word of God, is the lamp that is to be set on a lampstand. Now, Jesus often would use common illustrations that people would understand from their time in order to make his point. And in those days, uh, especially common people, uh, would have had rather modest homes. And these modest homes would have had a main room in the center of the house. And in that main room in the center of the house would have been placed a lampstand. The lampstand would be prominent. It would be somewhat elevated. And on that lampstand would be placed a lamp or a light, uh, either like a lamp that you would carry in your hand or perhaps even something like a candle as, as we would know it, something along those lines. And when that light was lit up, the entirety of the room would be visible. That was the point of it, so that everybody in the room could see what they needed to see in the main room in the house. It was not for decoration. It was meant to be a very functional light. Now, you wouldn't think about putting a basket over the lamp because if you put a basket over the lamp, the room's going to be dark. And the purpose for which the lamp was put there to begin with uh, would be diminished. And Jesus displayed God's truth out in the open for all of us to see. And Jesus makes the point that if your spiritual eye is cl clear, then you can see the word of God that has been proclaimed. But if your heart is darkened by sin, the light is not going to do you any good. No amount of light is going to help a spiritually blind person because their heart has not been enlightened to see the gospel. And then the second part of the illustration draws in more of a focus, uh, if you will, on the human eye as the lamp of the body. Now, our eyes don't generate light. Uh, our eyes process light and help us to see what we need to see. Jesus means that the eye is the lamp of the body, spiritually speaking, because it allows light to come into the mind and into the soul to comprehend it so that we can then act on the light. 
So if your eyes are good, spiritually, everything can function as it should. Jesus is talking about our spiritual perception here. He's saying literally, if, if your eyes are singularly focused, like if you're zoned in on something and looking well, then the interior of your life will be illuminated for God. Colossians 3 and verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. Respond to the light that you've been given through Jesus and you'll get more light. Reject the light that you've been given and you'll be left in total darkness and you'll eventually face eternal judgment. A.W. Tozer wrote, and he said, Religious instruction, however sound, is not enough by itself. It brings light, but it cannot impart sight. The assumption that light and sight are synonymous has brought spiritual tragedy to millions. The Pharisees looked straight at the light of the world for three years, but not one ray of light reached their inner beings. Light is not enough, Tozer writes. The inward operation of the Holy Spirit is necessary to saving faith. The gospel is light, but only the Spirit can give sight. You see, when we talk about both the gospel and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, we have to consider both information and transformation. Information regarding what we know to be true about God and about ourselves and about heaven and hell and about what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. But transformation that only comes about by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You see, the privilege of hearing the word of God brings to us the responsibility under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to believe the word of God and respond in obedience. So it's not enough just to know. We need to be transformed, and then we need to live our lives as disciples of Jesus, the one who lived and died and now lives again. And we know that the whole of the world lies in darkness, and it's sinking deeper and deeper day by day. And as the people of God, we have to stand on the truth of God's Word, and we have to shine that light. And we have to glory in the word and the light that's been given to us. And we need to walk in that light as that light is shown around the world. And as we do so, other people will come out of darkness and they'll step into the light by the power of God. You see, when God speaks, God has a purpose. When God speaks, God accomplishes what it is that he speaks. When God said, let there be light in the book of Genesis, there was light and God saw that the light was good. 1 John 1 and verse 5 says, This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 12, I am the light of the world. Isaiah in chapter 60 was speaking of the messianic hope and the promise of Jesus, but also what was to come in the future in the messianic kingdom. In Isaiah 60 and verse 1, he says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The psalmist said in Psalm 119 and verse 105, uh, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light 
and to my path. So the call for us is to hear the word of God, to believe it, and to have it to shine into our lives so that we can know God and live for him and be a witness for him in the world. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and verse 14 and following, you're the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I close with this. Open your eyes to see the Son of God and shine the light of the Word of God into your life. How's your spiritual sight? How clearly are you seeing? Are the eyes of your heart focused on God and His Word? You see, there was once a time when we all were walking in darkness. And the light of the gospel was shown into our lives because of the faithful witness of a friend or a family member or maybe a teacher at church or somebody preaching the word of God. It was in that moment that when the light shone in on the darkness of our lives that we realized the ugliness of our sin. We realized our need for God. If we didn't come to faith in Christ, we were going to spend an eternity in a place the Bible calls hell. And when presented with that truth under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, we believed. And when we believed and we turned from our sins and we turned to Jesus and we began to follow him, we began to understand who God really was and what he was doing in our lives. And I don't know when that point was for you. But that light shone into my life when I was seven years old. God changed my life, and it's been up and down along the way because of me, not because of God. But he's always been faithful. And that beginning of my life with God, while it began when I was seven years old, it's also going to have an ending point. And that ending point in this world, physically speaking, is going to be when I draw my last breath and I step over into eternity. But when that happens, I'm going to step over into eternity in a seamless transition into the glorious presence of God. And my life on this earth will have ended. My opportunity to serve God will have passed. But I'll be in the presence of God forever, glorying in what eternal life is all about. See, that's just a short insight into what my testimony is. But I want to ask you a question. What's your testimony? Do you remember when the light of God shone into your life, exposing the darkness, and you were brought to a point of the gospel, of understanding what God has done through His only Son? Was there a point in your life where you turned from your sins and you embraced Jesus Christ by faith as your Savior and your Lord? You say, Pastor, I don't have a testimony like that. That's never happened in my life. I want you to know that by the grace of God, you can meet Jesus Christ today. Your life could be changed forever 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You see, if you'll recognize that you're a sinner because of the light of the gospel that's shown into your life, and you'll believe in what Christ has done in his death, burial, and resurrection, and confess him as your Savior and Lord, you can be saved. Right now, in this moment, as you're listening to this message, your life can be changed eternally. And you can begin to walk in the light that God has for your life. I encourage you to take that step. You say, I've got questions. I'll be glad to talk with you as the service is over with. Or I'll be glad to talk with you if you'll contact me, if you're watching online or listening later on. But there's no more important step in life or eternity than entering in by faith into the family of God. And he invites you to come. It's the invitation of Jesus. He says, come, if you only believe. Let's bow our heads together for a moment as we pray. Christian, would you just take a moment as a follower of Christ to thank him for what he's done in your life? As you reflect on the body and the blood of Jesus, would you just express your gratitude and your worship to God? for bringing you out of darkness and into light, of showing you the only sign that you ever needed in Jesus, of bringing you to a point of faith. Take a moment and just thank Him. But if you say, Pastor, that's, that's not where I'm at. I, I've never been saved, but I know I need to be. Today would be a good day to meet Jesus. Will you believe and follow Him? Father, thank you for the blessing of your word, even uh, in these areas of the scripture where it, it is somewhat complex. As your children, uh, you give us the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to help us, to teach us, to illuminate the word that has been breathed out as truth. So Lord, help us to know and understand what it is that you're teaching us and to live according to it by faith. We'll give this time of close over to you in Jesus' name. Amen.